Hello, it is 2 a.m. in New York, 9 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 2 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Shenander Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations. And I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. You know that saying, desperate times call for desperate measures. I know how tempting it can be to think like that right now. (laughs) And I know you're sick of hearing the words, these are unprecedented times, right? But I know deep down, every one of us has thought, yeah, I don't even have a chance at doing the things I normally want to do. So I'm just going to like put it all out the window. (laughs) That sounds like a recipe for disaster because if I just let myself go there, I'd probably just put my hands in the air and let them land on the nearest bottle of Raqqa. And for those of you who don't know Raqqa, it is my absolute favorite wine in South Africa. (laughs) So listen, if you remember our last episode, episode 215, the pandemic wall, we talked about how so many of us are feeling like we hit it. And you might be saying, thank you for naming it, but now what? Right beyond the strategies that I mentioned in that episode, I wanted to go one step further. I want us to reimagine what resilience can look like. I want us to take a fresh perspective on the topic because when we've talked about resilience in the past, it was never in this current context. And remember, we can't apply old concepts to new contexts because they don't always translate. So to help us do that, I've invited someone very special who's been building resilience since birth. Karen Tan is an intercultural trainer, a leadership coach, and founder of Think Impact. Born in Vietnam, Karen moved with her family around Asia every few years before moving to the U.S. And as Chinese diaspora continued, Karen grew up speaking Cantonese at home while speaking English at school and picking up the local languages wherever she lived as a way to build connections with others. After her nomadic genes brought Karen back to Asia in 2007, she's lived in China, Hong Kong, Thailand, and Cambodia, training Chinese cross-cultural workers in cross-cultural leadership and communication and international team building. I mean, wow, that is a lot to do with resilience. Karen is also now pursuing a doctoral degree in member care. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Karen Tan to Expat Happy Hour. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Sunday. So excited to be here. I almost couldn't sleep yesterday night. (laughs) Well, and I usually would be asleep right now because of our, but because of our time differences, I had a ginger tea so I could stay awake. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for accommodating me. It's so wonderful. So I want to dive right in, Karen. I really respect both your personal and your professional journey, especially when it comes to the topic of 
crossing cultures and resilience. So I'd love to dive into both uh, mm-hmm. today, but let's start before we dive into any of the personal journey. I want to hear like, tell me why you do what you do. Wow. That's a profound question. <laughs> well, I actually was a UX designer after my I graduated from my college because I love arts and I love mm. design. And I always had always dreamt to be a designer. And so right after I graduated from college, somehow I landed on a job as a designer and I did that happily for about eight years. Um, unfortunately, the, inter- the internet bubble burst during that time, I actually started mm-hmm. the UX design even when Yahoo couldn't host an image. Can you imagine how early was wow. that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that kind of exposed my age for a little bit. But uh, when the internet bubble burst and I sat there and I asked myself, like, what do I need to do? Because I grew up in so many different countries. And so I realized that perhaps I could do something in culture, uh, with culture. So um, I took a break. Uh, you know, I, I go actually I go to study theology for a few years. Uh, and then after that, I I. Uh, do a nonprofit. I went back to Asia to train for a nonprofit organization, train expats and cross cultural workers. Mm. And I really love that. And after that, I realized that coaching is really a powerful tool. So I started to explore coaching. And that's where it leads me to where okay. I am today. So I'm not even going to pretend like I know what UX design is, but I have I have a hunch it has something to do with computers and yeah. graphic design. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So it was an online media design. So UX design is really like an interface design for uh, web pages and online media. Well, it doesn't surprise me that you say that because you're such a culture crosser that you go from online media to theology hmm. to coaching. Like that already says so much about you, Karen, and the way in which I'm guessing you've grown up just being able to make meaning of many things, no matter Mm -hmm. how different they are. Thank you. Thank you for being so kind. (laughs) I'm so curious. Tell me how this all started. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your personal journey? I've only shared with the audience you know, the highlights of the countries, but I'd love to hear from your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born in Vietnam. Uh, My parents, uh, my great grandparents moved from China to Vietnam in search for opportunities. And so my grandparents and my parents were born in Vietnam, but we are ethnically Chinese. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I was born, when when I was one year old, we moved from Vietnam to Hong Kong because there was an impending war. The war already started, so my parents hoping to uh, avoid the war, we moved to Hong Kong. Um, but because my dad was a businessman, so we essentially move around Asian countries. Uh, whenever there is business opportunity, he will bring the whole family with him. Mm-hmm. And so we moved to Taiwan when I was seven years old. We moved to Taiwan. After two years, we moved back to Hong Kong. And then later, we moved back to Singapore. So I would say on average, of every four years, our family yeah. moved. So That's a lot. Yeah. And did you go to an international school or were you in local schools? Uh, I never had the privilege to go to international school. I always get to go to local school. So Wow. So that is like another layer 
It, uh, it was really challenging. It was really challenging, I have to say, because the education system and the language, even the language use are different in Hong Kong as uh, I attended an English language school. But in Taiwan, it was uh, mainly Chinese. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's kind of ridiculous for me now to think back on it because uh, when I go from Hong Kong to Taiwan, I have to lower a grade. Say if I'm at grade uh, two already, then I have to become grade one when I go to Taiwan. Right. right. And every time we move from a country, I have to lower a grade. So I spend a lot of time in school. <laughs> so, but how, what does that do to you as a kid to constantly have to adapt yeah. to languages? And then I would even guess psychologically, I know my kids, if they go back to Switzerland, they have to go back a year because just because the age difference is hmm. there, not because hmm. they weren't performing, but they would have to. But psychologically, I know that would be hard for my kids. It was very what, difficult. Hmm. Yeah. How did you manage when you were so young? Uh, I cried a lot. <laughs> Yeah. You know, because back in those days, we didn't have email, we didn't have uh, social media. So once we left the country, I could not get in touch with my friends. When I was older, I was able to write letters. But I remember I always cried whenever we leave a country. And I felt like I always lose friends no matter where I go. Um mm-hmm. And every time I go to a new place, I always try my effort to quickly make friends. And this actually trained up my ability to really relate to others. So I build relationships very quickly with people because that's how I survive. Mm -hmm. But I also only stay at a certain level because I know that eventually, you know, I'm going to lose these friends again. So that was really difficult for me. I become what we say superficial per se, (laughs) but I also long to have deep relationships. And to a point, uh, which I mentioned in the TC Case of Asia forum, that to a point I really doubt my ability to connect deeply with others because I never got a chance to connect deeply with other people. And what, what did it take for you to come to that realization? Oh, I think that I realized there was a longing inside me to have a deep friendship, but it almost seems like it could never happen because once uh, I get to know people better, it's time for us to leave again. So Mm -hmm. that was quite painful, actually. Right. Well, it's almost safer to not connect deeply if you know you're going to leave because then you tell yourself the story that will hurt less when you go. Yes, yes. That's my survival skill, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's intense, especially at that age. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing your parents didn't have literature by their side to guide them. <laughs> <laughs> they might not have known what a TCK was. Like, where no. where did you get support? Uh, I did not have much, I have to say. Well, my parents are good parents. But, you know, Chinese for us, we're not that emotionally oriented mm-hmm. as long as, and they are more traditional parents too. So as long as we have food, as long as our grades are good in school, as long as we don't have any weird uh, behaviors. I think yeah. our parents would think that, well, our kids are fine. They are doing well in school and they look healthy. <laughs> right, right, right. And, Fair enough, right? Yeah, yeah. And to me, I 
to me, I always feel like I'm an outsider to every group that I am in because I'm I'm not from Hong Kong, I'm not from Taiwan, I'm not from Singapore, um, and there's always a part of me feel like I'm I don't belong there. So I always struggle in my self acceptance in in that sense. Not only that I don't have deep relationships, but I also feel like I am the widow, no matter where I go. And that was really painful for me. Right. So yeah. how in the world did you transform? I mean, we're talking about tra- resilience. How did yeah. you transform that pain mm-hmm. and to the ability to connect with people from all over the world and yeah. support them through their own journeys of belonging? Mm-hmm. That is a long, long, long journey. Because uh, I think for me, uh, the first time I discovered I was able to connect was when I moved to Singapore. When I moved to Singapore, when I was 16 years old. And you know, I have already been used to not connecting with people deeply, but there is always a longing beside me to, to feel belong, to connect deeply. And I, someone took me to a church and uh, I attended the youth fellowship there and this group of people, they love me so well. And one of them actually even spoke with me. She said that, you know, Karen, I understand your struggle uh, because she shared with me, I, I shared with her about my story. And she said that I understand your struggle, but you know, if you never let your child, if you never let yourself practicing connecting with other people deeply, you will never know what loving deeply and being loved deeply is like. And what she said really touched me. And I start learning to open up to them and they loved me so well that I felt, wow, finally, I feel belong here. And and wow. that's when the healing began. Yeah. That is, you know, your, that phrase that you just said to love me so well, that is mm. what caught my attention when mm. you were a panelist uh, mm. for the TK case of Asia belonging summit. Um, and I I just am holding these words, longing and belonging, Mm. right. And how they're Mm. so close together. Yes. Yes. And when I'm, when I'm listening to you, I'm, you use the word superficial before Mm. and that where there was something inside of me that rejected it because you're so full of depth. No, thank you. <laughs> I I can't like I can't put the word superficial and mm. you together. I'm wondering, I'm just want to play for a second. Mm. I have and this might surprise people um who are listening and it might surprise you, I don't know, but I have gotten feedback from friends years ago that I was guarded. Ah, uh, yes, that's a great word. Yes. So that's guarded like I'll just we'll connect, but I will, uh, and I'll let you in a little, but I won't let you in that far. Mm, that's a great word. Thank you. I love that. That I'm just that's the more appropriate that, word. Absolutely. And like, and it's like, how do you how do you drop your guard so people can love you well? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I yeah, that's a great word. Thank you, Sunday. Thank you. I was really guarded because I feel like there's always a part of me that people don't understand and they judge based on their cultural experience and cultural lens, right? And I hate that. And and that yeah. hurt 
and that hurts a lot. So I was always guarded, and I don't let myself connect deeply because I know I'll lose eventually, right? The the love and the friendship. But you know, when when I was in that fellowship, church fellowship, they loved me so well because when I opened, they were able to accept me. I I am not a Singaporean, but. The f- now I always tell people I'm half a Singaporean because the fact that I open up to them, the way they love, the way they share with each other, the way they live their lives have impacted me so much mm-hmm. that I part of me has changed because of them. So, yeah, yeah that, that love really shaped me in a huge way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's what's... I just kind of want a recipe for how do you love well, right? Uh, love someone well, and and not not a romantic partner, right? No, like no. People in your yeah. community, right? Mm-hmm. How do you love someone well in your mm-hmm. community? What were some of the things that you think they did well? I think a few things for me particularly stand out. Uh, one is for me to be seen. I think everyone needs to be seen to be acknowledged. So even though I I don't owe on any Singapore culture during then, you know, they saw me, they accepted me, they treated me like no different from any of them. Uh, they never mentioned that I'm not Singaporean. Perhaps they mentioned, I, I can't remember. So probably that's not important. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and you know, we're, we're youths, we're teenagers, we're late teenagers. So we just hang out together. We did a lot of things together. And, there, there's no secret among the whole community, like the whole youth fellowship. We share deeply. Everyone treats everyone just like a family. So that was almost like a family relationship to me during that mm-hmm. time. Yeah. It sounds like there was a lot of um, trust and vulnerability. Yes, a lot of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. That I mean, I just have like this something exploding in my chest right now when I'm hearing about that. It sounds yeah. like a huge pivotal moment. So how do you bring that gift that you got from them into mm. your work? Wow. Yeah, so after that, uh, we moved to the U.S. in the 1990s, and I found a church to attend in New York. We, we lived in New York, and uh, because of my experience in Singapore, I was also looking for a church community that was open, that was welcoming. And actually, I was blessed. I found a church community in New York that almost similar to the community in uh, Singapore. And during that time, I, I continued to grow. And, and I realized that while there's, you know, the resilience so slowly growing me and I start to understand myself more as I mature more. And I realized that there's a lot of things in me that can any, actually can identify with people who are going through a lot of changes, a lot of struggles, because I struggled so much in my growing up years. There's so mm-hmm. much pain. And a lot of times when people share their struggle with me, I actually can understand Exactly what it feels like is not just, you know, cognitively understand the theory right. or why it has happened, but actually I, I know how that feel. Uh, and so I was able to empathize uh, and have compassion in many ways. With yeah. your whole body. Your yeah, body. yeah, and with my whole self. Mm. So, man, there's so many 
<laughs> layers to this. Um, yeah. so the empathy is important that having lived through hard things yeah. is important. So yeah. when, when you talk about resilience, mm. let's say this is what, something I was actually really curious to talk to you about mm. people who've gone through hard things. Mm -hmm. I think resilience because they've gone through hard things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you support people who haven't yet gone through hard things develop mm. resilience? Mm. Oh, wow. This is a difficult question. Well, to, to me, I think resilience has two parts. Uh, one part is, is to go through challenges and be able to stand back at your feet. The, able to, the ability to rebound from difficulties and challenges and trials. And the other part is really to take advantage of change and being able to transform through the change, like being creative as we go through change and transitions. Not everyone goes through a very difficult time, but I'm sure everyone has gone through change or transitions. Right. Uh, whether it be difficult or challenges. So I think that for those who have not gotten through very difficult or trying times, I think they can always learn how to tap into that creativity, uh, you know, through the transition process, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so I'm hearing part two parts of your definition of resilience are mm. rebounding from challenges mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and working through the change or the transformation. Mm -hmm. Is there something that I'm missing? Uh, no, for me, like to rebound from, from difficulties, being able to stand back on our feet and mm -hmm. after crisis or after challenges, that would be one part. And the other part is really, I was just uh, discussing with my group coaching uh, fellow learners just now that, you know, the William Bridge, the, the book Transitions, uh, a yeah. lot of times just going through that neutral zone itself is a challenge. So, mm -hmm. so I think for me, the other part of resilience is really to learning how to take advantage of that neutral zone uh, right. where, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so the neutral zone um, for those who aren't familiar with the book and that are listening, can you explain what the neutral zone is for them? Absolutely. So, uh, William Bridges is the like the author to, who defined the process of transition. Um, and what he said is that there is an ending where we let go of the old stages of things. And before we move to the new beginning, uh, there is a zone where we actually go through a lot of doubts, uncertainty, and struggle. And that zone, he calls it the neutral zone. Yep. Martha mm -hmm. Beck calls that um, death and rebirth. Mm. So it's after it's when something happens and you don't know yet what will be next. You don't mm. have the dream yet. You're not doing the hard work. You're in death and rebirth because something old is, has ended, but what nothing has been reborn yet. Mm. And it's that discomfort. And I always tell my clients, no square skipping. You can't, you can't <laughs> skip that square. You have to stay in mm. the discomfort. And I think, mm. That is, if I'm just going to go off of your definition of resilience, I would suggest for those who have not been raised with challenges like you have or been through adversity for decades before they went into their adult life, um, that sitting in that discomfort is a really important skill. And mm. I've, I have been, I have 
mm-hmm. wanted to numb that. I have wanted to jump out of that square. I have wanted mm-hmm. to distract myself with something else, right? But mm-hmm. I've also learned there's a ton of value in in sitting in that. Mm-hmm. I think the neutral zone does a lot better than death and rebirth. So I'm gonna <laughs> let people just go to <laughs> that neutral zone. <laughs> well, it's a hard place to be with, I have to say. You know, it's a hard place to be. In. Right. But it's so worth it. It's it so is. worth it. It is. It is. So I look at resilience from a little bit different perspective. Mm. Um, and I'm curious because you work with teams. I know you work with leaders. I want to hear what you think of it. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's a different definition. I'm saying this is just a lens that I take on the time, mm. the topic mm. of resilience. I feel like when I work with expats and when mm. I work with, um, especially top performers, mm. you know, directors, leaders, I feel like people mix up the word resilience and endurance. What they're mm. doing is endurance. They are enduring but endurance leads to depletion mm. and resilience leads to rejuvenation. Mm. And I think that there's a danger, especially in the expat community where a lot of people feel like they have to do it all on their own because sometimes mm. they are alone right? mm. or they don't want to look like they don't know, especially if they're the only person in a community that's different from everybody else mm. that they just feel like they have to keep persevering or enduring, but the danger is that they will, they will burn out. Yes. Yes. I love that differentiation. So true. Yes. Yes. Well, coming from a Chinese background, I especially can identify the difference between endurance and resilience. (laughs) Oh, I'm from an American background and seriously, I didn't even know like two weeks vacation felt luxurious. And then I went (laughs) traveled to Europe and I was like, what? You guys have four weeks vacation. You're crazy. (laughs) What do you do with all that time? You know, like I was, I was raised thinking you just work, right? You just Mm. get it done. Mm. Mm. Yeah. My father was a farmer and would work from before dawn till after dusk and my mom wow. would she'd be finishing the dishes at 11 30 at night and would flop into bed and get up at six the next morning I didn't I didn't know how to replenish my energy right I see wow I didn't, yes. I didn't learn that either mm. that work ethics is very similar to Chinese work ethics I think mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. and I've, it's taken me a decade to realize how to be productive and do mm. well mm. without ignoring my body. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's full of wisdom. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I'm You're learning so from the best. No, <laughs> stop it! You're going to make me blush. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> reflecting on the hard things that the hard things that I've had to learn along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I am, yeah, resistant to learning. It took me a decade or more to learn that lesson. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and sometimes we we consider when we consider endurance a virtual because we see how our parents do it. It almost seems like we are. Uh, slacking or something if we treat ourselves well with self-compassion I think so Mm. tell me more about self-compassion I know that's part of your work Mm. what does self-compassion have to do with resilience I think self-compassion directly increase our ability to be as resilient 
of, I think that self-compassion is really to allow ourselves to be who we are. When we need to slow down, we allow ourselves to slow down. And we, when we are ready to push, we allow ourselves to push through things. And I think self-compassion is really just self-acceptance and treating ourselves the, the way, like listen to our body, you know, listen to our heart, listen to who we are. Um, and I am a Christian, so I listen to God too. And, and so just, just being me holistically healthy uh, as much as to, to the best of my ability. Right. And, so how do you create yeah. space for all of that listening when mm-hmm. you've got all these demands on your time and energy and attention? I do. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard of the term Sabbath. Is a as a Jewish practice, but a lot of Catholic and Christians also practice this. So I I try my best to keep the Sabbath every Saturday or every Sunday at best my can. So on that day, I will go for a hike. I will listen. I will I'll read. Um, I'll pray, and uh, I'll I'll really spend time journaling and just to reflect back on the week and to allow myself like, am I doing okay? What do I need? Um, really attend to my body and my heart and my soul. So that's a very good practice for me. And I also... And have, you, have you been doing that for a long time? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have been practicing that for a long time. Sometimes I'm too busy. I don't. I wouldn't be able to do it in a whole day, but I always learn to take time. And every actually every end of the year, I'll take a few days out just to have my, by myself, silent retreat. And I will just journal and reflect back through the year and project what I'm going to do next year. So that helps mm-hmm. a lot. When yeah. I feel like, okay, when, when I do my Sabbath, I feel like, oh, I'm really tired. And then I can adjust my rhythm based on what I sense about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would you, there's going to be people who are listening mm-hmm. and they're like, that sounds delicious. I would love mm-hmm. to make time <laughs> for my body, my heart, and my soul. Like I think intuitively mm-hmm. a lot of people know that's nourishing. Hmm. but there's others here who are probably listening and going, I don't have time for that. Are you kidding me? I got a job. <laughs> I got a home school, I got kids. Like what would you say when you really want to support people in their journey for resilience? Hmm. What would you say to them? Even when they have a lot going on, like it's happening these days with COVID and the extra demands. Yeah. Well, if I may invite them to start small and I, you know, I have a food plate. I have a mom who has Alzheimer's and I need to take care of her on weekends. I'm doing a PhD program. I'm writing my dissertation now and I have my work coaching. And also I'm actually doing work for a nonprofit. (laughs) So people listen to me and they're just like, how do you do it? but, But I do think that if we are, Wanting to explore, I think it's always possible to have time. And it really taps into our creativity and resourcefulness, which I think as a coach, I always challenge my clients to consider, you know, whatever they think is impossible. Actually, it is possible if they put their intention into it. So I would invite them to start small, perhaps like maybe just a few hours, one day uh, within a week. And start small to see. Once they get the rhythm of it, probably they can expand that time slot into a, a more longer period of time, I would say. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. 
agree with that. I mean, my, mm-hmm. I, everybody knows who listens to expert happier that I call myself a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> mm. um, I, I would say I'm, I think I'm a, re- a perfectionist in remission. I really think I've nailed it. I really don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to go back to that, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, I spent years of, I would say living from my chin up, like always in my head, very, you know, mm-hmm. very academic, very mm-hmm. cognitive. And mm-hmm. only thanks to my coaching practice, um, did I even experiment with the mind body connection? Like, Oh, I got, I got oh. something below my chin, right. Allowing mm-hmm. that in. <laughs> Um, and, I love how you um, say that. I got something below my chin. <laughs> well, and the joke of it all is the only reason I did this assi- these assignments on like body awareness is because I was a good student and wanted to do what my teacher told me to do. <laughs> and then like the good scientist was like, oh, that, that's good evidence. Like I noticed the results, right? When I did that. So I, like I said, I was holding on tight to old patterns. Mm. Um, and just recently I've added meditation into mm. my, my regular routine mm. and it is unbelievable. The, mm. the creative ideas that I've had, I take three hours out of my week, out of my work hours mm. to meditate and I consider it working hours because it's mm. an investment in my business and my creativity and my clients. I love um, that. And it completely pays off because I'm like getting downloads from the universe <laughs> for mm. these meditations. Mm. And it, um, it's so good for the soul. Mm. Um, mm. So that's been, that's been, I, I wholeheartedly stand beside what you said around mm. making time. Even when you think you're busy, I work full time. I've got two boys, you know, we've, mm. we've got stuff to do too. And and for those who have even more overwhelming loads on their shoulders, I love your mm-hmm. idea of small steps. Mm. So can I ask a question? Yeah, of <laughs> <laughs> so what quality of difference have you noticed in your work now that you are taking time off yeah, just to meditate versus before when you were perfectionist, but you know, but you're doing excellent work because you were a perfectionist. Have you noticed any quality difference in my work? Two um, stages, yeah. I think it's way more connected. Mm. I think it's way more like way more embodied. Mm. Um, I think you're. If I'm going back to you know ten years ago, fifteen years ago, very very cognitive, right? Mm. And good, rational, good ideas, that sort of thing, convincing, mm. but not embodied. Mm. Um, and I don't know if people who've been on the journey with me, you know, people who've been listening to my podcast for the last five years or have been my client for years, if they've noticed anything, but I think there's a level. And it goes back, mm. I think, to what we were talking about before, about guarded and dropping your guard. Mm. Um, and I think when you do that, you let people in. Big surprise. <laughs> mm, I love that. Wow. Um, so mm. I think it just, I think there's something subtle. Maybe no one can see it from the outside, but I think there is a quality there. Mm. Quality of life for sure in terms of um, slowing down and being more present with myself or for others and just mm. letting allow myself to have more of the full range of the human experience the mm. sitting in the heart like sitting in the hard stuff right mm. um sitting in the discomfort but also really sitting in the joy i think 
I think that has been uh, an impact. Wow. Thank you. That is always resilience there. So, yeah. Well, you're, well, so is that, I mean, if we're, if we're on this call together to talk about how can we reimagine resilience, what, mm. what if we just, Karen, what would that look like now that you, you and I have talked about your definition mm. and my definition, and we've mm. shared some stories, like mm. what, what's new that's emerging for us? Mm. For me, the, the fact that you describe you know, just just taking this time to remain quiet, to to give to yourself, open up yourself to a lot of other things. Essentially, you're embracing life. Uh, you're t- letting people in. I think that itself is really enlarging your your circle, enlarging your understanding of this world. And I think that itself is increasing your resilience to a new level because I I think that resilience is really um, going against something that is adverse to us, Mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. And if you enlarge your circle of comfort, enlarge, you know, relationships, enlarge things, then I I think that you build a bigger capacity to embrace things. And I think that is self-increase the resilience. I love that. That's new for me, this idea Mm. of... I think about some of the hard things that we went through in Burkina Faso and how that prepared me for Mm. other crisis situations that came down the road, Mm. the capacity building. So resilience isn't just rebounding, it's actually building more volume, more capacity for Mm. other life events. I'm also hearing from you, what, what I'm taking away is this idea about how I don't always put resilience and self compassion in the same bucket, mm. but I love how you bring self-compassion in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that is essentially similar to what you said, uh, really to give yourself space so that you enlarge the volume, increase the capacity of yourself taking in. And I think self-compassion is really to allow yourself to be more vulnerable, to be who you are uh, in order to embrace things that are around you. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. self-compassion is really hard for people. Mm, it is, especially for leaders. <laughs> I, I realize that. Yes, that's why they become leaders because they continue to push yourself, push themselves. So that's where they they are now. I always tell my clients, but you know, self. I I read a research. Actually, they say that self-compassion actually uh, help your leadership to become better. Mm. Yeah. So, because you see the humanity, if you finally see the humanity in yourself, you can then see the humanity in the people that you support. Yeah, always, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Self-acceptance well, always increase other acceptance, I would say. I, I, so I read one of your articles before um, we hopped on the call and you talked uh-huh. about how, how like, almost, I mean, I'm putting it in my words now, it's not your words, but for me, it was like a, almost like a mirror of how accepting are you of other people? And are you accepting that accepting of yourself? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I think it's a really important question for people to ask themselves. Um, Mm. And if you're more accepting of others and why don't you include yourself 
Yes. <laughs> I always ask my clients, like, you, you, you have so much empathy towards others. Do you have any towards yourself? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Why do you yeah. think people are so hard to, to have self-compassion? Hmm, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that for us, uh, what I have been hearing is, you know, if I let myself go, then I wouldn't be good enough. If I let myself go, then I wouldn't continue to push myself to excellence. Uh, you know, something like that. So it's yeah. almost like get, being excellent is exclusive to uh, self-compassion, I think. Right. That's, that's what people think. Wait, and like excellence is the only way I can say that I have worth. And that is such mm. a dangerous concept, right? Mm-hmm. Like I That's only a have worth to put it. when I'm excellent. And it actually takes away the, de- it takes away the definition of excellence. Excellence <laughs> is, is, is beyond value mm. that we would expect. Mm. Right? Mm. That's profound. I need to go back and digest that a little bit. Yes, <laughs> that's really profound. That's that's correct. That's a, a new definition of what excellent is. Mm-hmm. We we set ourselves up for failure. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Or the only definition of success is something that will lead to endurance and burnout. That's it, it, I think it comes full circle mm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what about, and I'm going to be really honest, there have been times like now that I've been doing this for a long time and mm-hmm. I also teach this, you know, I really try to watch my, what I call red flags around being mm-hmm. not in a resilience mode, but endurance mode and watch out for times where I'm depleting myself. And I, there's still things I don't catch, right? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you have to watch yourself of like when you're not exercising self-compassion or when you're not operating from a place that's building your capacity for resilience? Yes. Yes. When I get too busy, you know, I, I really have a lot of things on my plate. So sometimes when I'm in the mode of finishing them or when I'm in the mode of, you know, I need to do more to prove that I'm worthy, uh, you know, as a coach, I'm, I'm worthy to work for the nonprofit. I'm, I'm worthy something you know a good daughter worthy of taking care of my Mm -hmm. mom sometimes when I try to prove myself um, that's where I probably don't catch myself that I'm running into depletion mode and uh, it it always comes through like my reaction to people Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes I'm a bit short-tempered like I I won't snap at people but I would uh, probably withdraw or some thoughts running in my mind. It's like, okay, enough is enough, something like that. <laughs> and, and so those are the time when I catch myself that, okay, something is not good here. And so I will look at my schedule and then I'll plan out some time, maybe going hiking. Exercise is a great way uh, for me yeah. to release a, a lot of uh, stress and tension. And I'm thankful that I have good friends around me for me uh, to check in on me and and to hold me accountable on whether I'm pushing myself too much. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So those ways are helpful. So that I just want to tie back to two other podcasts. One Mm. is last week we talked about um, research that we know from completing the stress cycle. So exercise is a great way Mm. to complete the stress cycle. So it moves through you. So that goes back to what we learned from the book I referenced in last episode called Burnout. Mm. And the other thing 
that I've been harping on <laughs> for a long time uh -huh. is that resilience is actually built in community. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's exactly what you just said. So a reminder mm -hmm. to our listeners of if you want to work on your resilience, are you taking care of your body? Are you doing this in community? Mm. Are you making space for mm. your heart and your soul, right? And I even for those busy business people, right? Like heart and soul isn't fluffy stuff. It's like really important stuff that impacts people's quality of life and their performance. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Community is important. So I'm single and, and so I have to be intentional in connecting with other people to keep myself healthy and build my resilience. So, yeah. yeah. That's so smart. So mm -hmm. any last words that you have for those who are listening when you reflect back on all of your work with people and your own experiences with building resilience? Um, yeah, well, when we talk about resilience, the image comes is like to be tough or to to endure to, you know, it always tied to uh, image of strength of toughness for you to be able to go through or pull through the challenges, right? Or go through the changes. But I do think that we we can also consider the soft part, the humanity part of it. Actually, we don't need to be tough to go through resilience. I think we that self-compassion, the connecting to the community, connecting to our humanity, increasing our volume actually is a great way to go through challenges and build resilience. So I I thought for me, this concept changes as I as I age. Um, and it's a new concept to me. So I just encourage the audience to not just think of toughness or, you know, build a muscle or something like that. That That's only one aspect of resilience. Yeah. And as you say that, I have chills that go all the way up my arms. Mm. Because I really feel like that's what we need right now, especially mm. after this long, drawn out <laughs> COVID yeah. pandemic, right? Self-compassion yeah. yeah. and community. So thank you for for adding that to the discussion. Um, it's been so wonderful. I wish I had <laughs> 10 more hours to discuss with you, but before yes. we go, um, can you help people understand where they can find you? Oh, uh, I have a website uh, and my company is called thinkimpact.co, C-O, not .com. Um, and I, my email is karen at thinkimpact.co. So welcome. So great to be here. Thank you so much, Sunday. Such an honor. Thank you so much for uh, for coming, Karen. It's been mm -hmm. amazing. I'm I'm sitting back and thinking, you know, reflecting on what Karen had to share. We agreed we were just going to hop on the call and and share as as people and as practitioners what what happens when we talk about resilience and what's new. And mm -hmm. I'm taking away what's new is definitely that idea of self-compassion as an area of resilience that I don't often think of, even though I understand deep in my body how that has a positive impact um, mm -hmm. on one's resilience. So that's, I'm definitely taking away from today. I want to just say thank you for listening to Expat Happy Hour. I'm happy that you're here. You've been listening to Sunday Bean. And I'll leave you with the words from Jada DeVault. When we learn how to become resilient, we learn how to embrace the beautifully broad spectrum of the human experience. Mm -hmm.